Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. up everyone welcome back to anything is potable a podcast about the boston celtics you already know i'm not sam jam packard <laughs> i'm jay king the athletic celtics writer following game one i've got chris forsberg from nbc sports boston joining me the legend we're gonna get into everything that went wrong for the celtics during game one we're gonna get into everything that went right for them including robert williams with nine thousand blocks let's start with <laughs> Let's start with the offense, Chris. What, what did you think went wrong, most wrong, in the second half as, as you know, Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker kind of went totally silent for the entire second half? Yeah, a, a, an unfortunate start. I think Kemba picked up his fourth foul pretty early there. And then was that when he winged the ball like four rows deep to Taco uh, on the yep. sideline? and. You know, the one thing I've, I've, I've always been a little bit worried about with this Celtics team is it feels like they go through these lulls where they don't score and it really starts to bleed into the offensive end. Combine that with the fact that you just felt like the Nets were going to start making shots eventually and it felt like the entire momentum of that game changed. And just like you said, Kemba was just not himself from the start and maybe that was the foul trouble. Maybe that was just, you know, a bad night. And Tatum lost a little bit of the aggression he had in the first half. And, you know, you just can't – I mean, 40 points in the, the second half, you're, you're not going to be this team. And why it's, it's particularly discouraging is that, you know, it's, it was sort of out there. you got the X-Factor game that you sort of wait for from Rob, and the, you, you probably play about as good a defense as you're going to play in this series. And yet the Nets still were able to just kind of tear that game open with one little 9-0 run. And now you're now you're now you're in a precarious spot where they're probably going to put up 120 the rest of the series, and I'm not sure how you counteract that. Yeah, the Celtics like so much went right for them. the The Nets did not hit a three pointer until two minutes left in the first half. They really didn't get like their offense didn't get going 
really for most of the game. They only shot 41.7%. They only ended up with eight threes for the entire game, eight for 34, 23.5%. Boston got three, three threes from Marcus Smart. Like a lot went right for the Celtics. Robert Williams had just a ridiculous game. <laughs> like, absolutely, absolutely outrageous. Uh, it did feel like that one was there for the taking for the Celtics. But Kevin Durant came out in the third quarter, and I think he just really took things over. Like the first possession of that third quarter, Jason Tatum had an air ball going against Durant, and then Durant scored, and then he drew a kind of weak foul on Tatum. It was Tatum's fourth foul. Kemba had already – or Tatum's third foul. Kemba had already picked up his fourth, and it was just like just a disaster start for the Celtics. Like as bad a start as you could have to the third quarter. I thought Durant just did everything. Um, I thought he took it to a level that that Tatum couldn't reach or Tatum didn't reach. And then the other part of that for the Celtics, and I think Brad kind of pointed to it a little bit, like they kept having Tatum go against Durant. They kept having guys go against Durant. Like There are weak links to pick on. <laughs> You know, like get a better matchup, find a better matchup and go after that. I think the Celtics need to do a much smarter job about attacking moving forward in this series. 100%. And first off, I thought Durant's arm broke in the first half. when he. How the hell did he survive that? He like, not only survived it, but he just got up like it was like, ah, oh, no, no big deal. If that's a Celtics player that hits the floor, they're out six to eight months. And, you know, it's like <laughs> Durant just pops back up and gets himself to the free throw line. It's unbelievable. Uh, but, yeah, he, it, it, so that's that's the thing. I, I kept sitting there saying, not only are they going to make shots, but one of these guys is just going to take over the game. And the Celtics don't have that luxury. Like, t- for as good as Tatum can be, and he can cer- he's certainly capable of it, but it's just more likely that one of the two former MVPs on the floor is going to be the guy who goes to another level or the 50, 40, 90, seven-time All-Star. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, it just puts you in such a bind. And I think – the Celtics have to be so mentally tough in this series because there's going to be instances where the, the Nets either just go on these little runs or the Celtics offense goes cold and you've got to find a way to just survive it. And it didn't feel like the Celtics did a particularly good job of handling the frustrations, both with the fouls and with the, the Nets getting hot. And so uh, they've, they've, they've got to be sharper. And I think you nailed it. Blake Griffin is on the floor, you know, hunt that mismatch. You know, there's, there's, there's spots you can hunt. Let's maybe don't drive at the seven foot one dude who can, can kind of make your life hell on for every guy on your team. So uh, they didn't cut nearly as hard in the second half. They didn't, they, they, they really only played offense well when Robert Williams was out there and, and that's got to change uh, if you're going to have any chance in these games moving forward. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Williams's impact because I think it was very clear he was better than Tristan Thompson in this game, obviously. Like, 11 points, 9 blocks, 9 rebounds. The Celtics kind of came to life when Robert Williams is on the court. I think if he's healthy, like, the obvious answer would be just play him more, right? Like, play him 35 minutes, see what happens. But even even while he was blocking 9 shots, like, he was hobbling sometimes. Yes. You wonder how, how he's going to handle – like the repeated jumping that he does. And I don't know how he had that game considering that he was on turf toe and considering how he looked just a few days ago, you know, going, going off the court against Washington in the play in tournament, just a ridiculous performance. When he blocked James Harden's step back three, I was like, Holy shit. No one does that. 
that, that was after denying the, the initial drive where even Harden was like, what the hell? This, this guy <laughs> to turn me on the way to the basket. And then he goes to that step back and smothers it, blocking Kyrie in the first. Like, so you, and I figured you called me on this podcast only because like we had some heavy Rob Williams chat and I want, uh, and I, I just appreciate you giving me this opportunity to, to glow about Rob, but yeah, like he's got nine healthy toes and he almost put up a triple double, but I don't know what you can do moving forward because I'm just not confident. He didn't look great at stretches of that second half where, you know, it's clearly bothering him. I think it'd be asking a whole lot to go over 24, 25 minutes, but you know, those Tristan minutes are rough and, you know, James Harden or Durant, they get those switches on Tristan and they're looking to take advantage. So I, I don't know what their answer is there. Uh, obviously they played a lot of Jabari and you know, maybe there's some small ball lineups there, but they're just in a tough spot. This is where I, I hate to hate to keep going back to it, but if you had Tice, at least you'd have a serviceable, another center you could throw out there. And I understand the reasons for why they, they moved on at the at the deadline, and, and part of it was to create more opportunity for Rob, but it just left this team in a, a very precarious situation right now where if Rob's not able to go and give you a high minutes, you know, I'm not sure what they do. Yeah, I think it's funny. Brad Stevens, you know, during the days leading up to the game, obviously, like, defense is going to be important against the Nets, but he kept stressing – how important it was to score against them. Yeah. And and it felt like he knew, like, if if you don't have a good scoring night, like, you're just done against them. And so the Celtics shot 36.9%. They hit 11 of 33s, which is fine, but, like, certainly not glowing. They're, after halftime, it was just disgusting offense. They just need to move the ball better. They need to test the Nets more side to side. They need to get better matchups. And obviously, like, to some extent, they're they're limited by the personnel. Like, and I don't know if this is going to be a Tristan Thompson series. Like, I just feel like, like he's not enough of a threat against, against Brooklyn. And I don't know what to do, what they should do otherwise. You know, like, do you throw Grant Williams out there? Like, he's not a threat either. Do you just play Robert Williams 48 minutes and hope his toe magically stays oh. attached to his body? Like, like, I just, I don't know what the answer is there. Um, I don't think there is an answer, but but they need more from Fournier. They need a lot more from Kemba. And and Kemba, he's been playing great heading up to the playoffs. Do you, do you think it was the finals? Like, we were trying to figure out, was it just a clunker? Like, Kemba was really good at the start of the playoffs last year. He's had plenty of time off here. Like guys have bad games, but it was it the foul trouble. What what do you think was the the main culprit tonight for Kemba having a bad game? I think fouls were certainly part of it. If you if you look at this season, like he's never in foul trouble. Right. He's not a guy who ever really has to deal with that. And then he picked up his third pretty early in the first half. They sat him. Um, he actually had a good start to the game. Like like he hit a couple of tough shots. Yeah. He was he was facilitating offense. He hit Fournier for a three. And then, like you said, like the the foul trouble came up and and from there it was just yuck. I mean, he hit two threes late. Maybe that'll get him going later in the series. But until then, he was did not make a shot in the second half. Um, it was super super quiet night from him. And, and they're gonna they're gonna try to pick on him, you know? Like they're they're gonna they're going to send guys at him. And that, that's why it was so tough to leave him on the floor with fouls. Like Brad Stevens always leaves guys on the floor with fouls. But 
it's really tough to do that when you're playing against James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. You know, like like normally I think he would have trusted Kemba in that situation, three fouls, six minutes or seven minutes left in the second quarter. But those guys just create a lot of contact. Yeah. Dur- Durant took 12 free throws. Harden took 10. Kyrie took five. And so, like, they were drawing fouls all night long. And and Kemba, like, that that really – I did – I did feel like that sapped his rhythm, but he still needs to be – he needs to produce better shots and and be better than 15 points on 5 for 16 shooting for sure. And and we knew that coming in, right? Like that if Tatum got a lot of attention, if you've got Durant covering him and if they're making his life miserable at times, they need both probably Kemba and Fournier to kind of go up a notch and 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 try to offset the output that the, the Brooklyn Big Three is putting up. But like you look at it, 82 points – for Durant, Harden, and, and Kyrie, like, I mean, man, that that's tough to tread water and, and keep up with unless Tatum's going for 40. And so they're in a tough spot. Like, I, I, am I crazy? I don't think they're going to score less than 120 the rest of the series. It, unless they have like a re- everyone just has a really bad night. How do the Celtics manufacture enough offense to, to keep pace? Uh, they probably won't. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think part of it is just like, you need more from Kemba. Fournier needs to do more. Um, he was really quiet. He was like only got ten shots, hit two two out of four threes, but like he really didn't make much of an impact on the game at all. They need more from him. They tried Jabari Parker, which stunned me. Um, <laughs> I, I was <laughs> I was not prepared for the Jabari Parker wrinkle in the first quarter of Game One. <laughs> Not sure where that came from. And he was pretty good. Um, he had that one dumbass play where he got a steal and then immediately threw it back to the wrong team. Um, and then he had that other play where he got beat back door as soon as he got on the, the court. But, like, they tried to go at him defensively. He sort of held up. He made them settle for contested jump shots. He was plus seven over 22 minutes, scored nine points. Like, he was fine. Um, but, it, like, when, when you're going to Jabari Parker <laughs> be, because, like, you need some offense or whatever the case may be, like, that's probably the issue right there. Um, and so where do the Celtics go from here? Like, I just think I need the, they, they need to find ways to get Tatum going. Um that 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 to me is what stood out the most. Like that second half, they didn't put him in good situations, or he wasn't in, didn't put himself in good situations. Yeah. And he he just like there was there were very few oppor- scoring opportunities he had in in the second half, which is very rare for him. Like even on his bad shooting nights, like he still has some some pretty good shots. But that second half, like there just wasn't much there for him. And obviously, the Nets are going to sell out to stop him and force him to to feed other guys, but whoo. <laughs> like. and, and, and so this is the season in a nutshell, right? Like they just don't have the depth and it falls back as much as there's blame to go around for everybody. But I think we're sort of seeing it. We saw it during the season and now we're seeing it on the biggest stage. The, the roster just isn't right. Like Danny Ainge has to get better pieces around Jalen and Jason next year. And obviously if you had a healthy Jalen Brown, there's a lot of things that are different about this series. But, you know, they've just pretty much navigated the entire year without a legitimate four that they can consistently lean on. 
and that's wild. Like, and now they they barely have enough fives to get through a playoff series, and so they've just put themselves in a really precarious situation with the roster they built. And it's clear, however this ends and however quick it ends, I know if they get swept out of the playoffs, there'll probably be some people who say, "Oh, you got to go more drastic moves." I don't think so. You bring back this core, you bring back Brad, you and you just fix the pieces around them, but. Uh, they've got to find ways to to better accentuate what they've got. And uh, unfortunately, their challenge now is they have to do it with with the cards they've got. And I just don't know if there's any easy answers to, to, to keeping up with this Brooklyn team. Yeah, th- especially during the first half, I was thinking how entertaining this series could have been with Jalen oh, Brown. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we talk about the weak links the Nets defense has. And, like, they do have weak links. Um, but it's a lot harder to to put stress on those weak links when you have fewer offensive options out there. And and I just think Jalen's ability to drive with physicality and his ability to make threes, like never mind guarding one of Durant, yes. Irving, or Harden at all times, like that would have just made it an enormous difference. And I'm not sure whether this Nets team is vulnerable. They looked like it in the first half. Their defense certainly feels like it could be rocky. But, man, they have – like, when they started going, it was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. When, when the Celtics are down 12 points, I'm sitting there going, oh, man, how are they getting back in this game? And it feels like a, a slog. And I know they came back from some big deficits and obviously against the Spurs and all that. But sometimes it feels like they get down double digit and it's, it's going to take three quarters for them to get back into the game. The Nets were down 12 early, and I was like, oh, you know, you're going to blink, and that lead's going to be gone. And they just don't get rattled because they know they're so confident in in their pieces that they're going to chip away and get back into it. And uh, that just just puts you – I think that's part of it with the the Celtics is just their their psyche sometimes. They're just not as confident in this group as they have been in years past. They don't have quite that same swagger at times about, like, you know, we're going to show them. And it just feels like they, they hang their heads a little bit. And, like, understandably so. They just they, they, they have these rough, rough stretches of offense, and they've got to figure out ways to, to better, better handle that if they're going to have any shot. Yeah, and I, I think their, de- like their defense really held up for the most part. It did. Most of the game. Like, they held, Durant had 32, but he was 10 for, five, 10 for 25 shooting. Harden... 21 points, eight assists, nine rebounds, like great game, but wasn't like he was murdering them or by any stretch. Joe Harris only got up six threes, only made two of them, was four for 11 from the field. Like they did a really good job for the most part defensively. It was everything else that was tough. All right, I got to get back to writing. So let's get to this potable six pack, the world famous potable six pack. We'll All give right. you the first pick, most entertaining, most important, whatever moment whatever you want from this game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, I got to go. Uh, like, you, can we, I'm not even sure I can pick one Rob Block in particular. Uh, I love all them. nine of them. You can pick all of them. There was one where – was it – was – was there one? Was it the Claxton that he blocked like twice in one yeah. motion? Yeah, and then just started hopping uh, around you know, on his bum toe. <laughs> on his bum toe. Uh, I like to look at it this way: he had one block for each of his non-turfed toes. So uh, Rob Williams, by far, the the number one pick in the in the six pack because uh, he's awesome, and the Celtics is just so much more enjoyable when he's out there. I'm going with the Jabari Parker hook shot out of nowhere. I- <laughs> Just enjoyed the Jabari Parker hook shot. He was actually okay. I was surprised to see him on the court. He was fine. The, I, I don't think that that will be something they get away with in the rest of the series, but he was fine. Second pick. Uh, when Tatum got elbowed in the face and got really mad. You never see Tatum get mad like that. I appreciated his anger. I, I like it. I like it. I'm going to go with uh, maskless Brad, which I didn't Ooh. even know what was something that was going to happen. And then, uh, you know, our guy, Himmelsbach, asked him about it before the game. And you could tell, like, Brad was super pumped not to have the mask anymore and, and was, like, got really deep about lip reading and hand signals and, uh, you know, <laughs> crowded arenas. So uh, it's just – it's a more aesthetically pleasing – experience when the coaches can just yell and don't have to be like uh i'm trying to think there was one coach who i said it was just never wearing their mask anymore and i was like it's it's so egregious um but you know shout out to not having to wear masks anymore and just being able to yell and curse and uh get caught on hot mics love it your your second pick oh i guess i am forgot i got another one um uh, I, 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 I didn't see Jason Tatum's post-game Zoom, but I, I think I saw the pre-game picture. Did he show up like a floral shirt? Like a yeah, it was, it was like a Hawaiian shirt. Love that move. It, it was it was hot today. Uh, as soon as the weather hits 80, so Tatum has been like living in trench coats. Uh, we've been, we joke about it on, on the pre-game show because every time we do arrivals, Tatum struts in in a, in a, in a trench coat. I'm like, man, it's, it's, it's like 65 degrees outside now and Tatum's in a trench coat. But... Uh, for him to flip the script here in, in, in game one of the playoffs, show up in the wide. The only thing I think could backfire because it's also sort of like vacation wear. And I don't want people thinking that Jason Tatum was like, yeah, one, two, three, Cancun. And hopefully, hopefully that's not what he's going through. <laughs> yes. One, two, three, Cancun. He actually, yeah. he did look ready for, for Cancun. Um, <laughs> just, just attire wise, but it was hot out there today. You know, yeah. I think. That's a it's a natural choice for him to go with the the Hawaiian shirt. Um, what else? What else can I pick? There there really wasn't much like too too memorable about that game. Yeah, kind of kind of condemn kind of condemning that we we had to go to Jason Tatum Hawaiian shirts like to to try and just get through this thing. Yeah, I, I've got one last pick, and it's like I wish I wish I could pick a Robert Williams block. Um, I mean, you can, like, you can just piggyback off it. Cause there, again, there was nine to choose from. So yeah, there were, there was definitely not much to choose from. How, how about the fact that Kendrick Perkins had a seven block game at one point in his career? 
<laughs> oh, oh, all right. I'll, I'll pick this. I'll, I'll go with instead of this, I'll go with how Robert Williams, everyone said that or the the Celtics stats tweeted out that he uh, set the franchise record playoff record with eight blocks um, surpassing Kendrick Perkins, who had seven. And I think there was one other player. Robert Parrish. Robert Parrish. It's like, I think think Bill Russell had that one, guys. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I know they didn't technically keep blocks as a stat during his time in the NBA, but I would guess he had like 15, 16 block games in the playoffs, at least, based on the fact that I saw him jump over a man and finish a layup <laughs> back when like nobody could move or dribble with their offhand or really shoot at all. And, and also had like jobs as insurance salesmen and stuff <laughs> wearing cloth, cloth sneakers like yeah it was it, it, it's a it, it's the block i would love to know what his biggest block game was back then did he have like a 20 block night he probably did at some point right somebody's gotta go back and watch some sort of tape there's gotta be tape because i've seen highlights of him yeah like there has to be some game tape of him and just it would be in the double digits, at least, but just a ridiculous game from Robert Williams. Just, how long until he? How long until he gets a five by five? Not that long, not he's, that long at all. I mean, he, he flirts with it kind of regularly. If he had, like, he often has five assists. Not like often, but it's something no, he does he, enough. He's, he's dime lord, so it's yeah, yeah. It it won't be too long, but he's got to be able to stay on the court. It, it's too bad that that he got hurt, and it's yeah. too bad that Jalen got hurt because this team wanted all season long to get healthy. And it, it does seem like they had another level, at least defensively. Like the the last two games with, you know, playoff stakes, I know the, the play-in wasn't technically a postseason game, but with that had playoff stakes, their defense has been so much better, so much more locked in than it was really throughout the entire season. Um, and so, so they did have another level to reach. It's just, they got there and they didn't have the guys that they needed. A couple things. One, how, how much, how much horse shit is it that they don't count the playing game as playoff stats? Like, what is the reasoning behind not tracking it as a postseason game? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I understand it, but they should at least have its own category, you know? Right. Like, they just don't count it at all. It's it just like it's almost as if it vaporizes. And so we're just supposed to say that Jason Tatum only had two 50-point games this year? Is that, like, what we're doing? Yeah, that was just, like, in some cloud, you know, like some some cloud up in the it's sky. So it's Do- so doesn't dumb. count for regular season, doesn't count for playoffs, doesn't count for anything. It's, it's They've got to figure this out. They're just going to classify it as a postseason game. No one's going to lose their mind. We don't fold – postseason into regular season stats like it's still different it's technically a game that comes after the regular season so it is a postseason game um nba don't be stupid about this they make the change and just count those games and or even just lump it into its own category right i mean how how hard would it be to just create a play-in category that at least counts it they have drop down now on the nba stats page for like you know schedule by play-in and all that like they could certainly do it. It's just 
I don't need another row on basketball reference when I'm trying to figure out how many minutes a guy has played all over his career and stuff like that. Just, I, I think it's just simplest just to put it in the postseason category. Like, is anyone going to really fly off the handle? Like, that someone padded their postseason stats with, with that? What? That, that's neither here nor there. That just, it, they'll figure that out, hopefully, because the, 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 this current thing is so dumb. But um, you brought up Robert Williams and not staying on the court. So here's my thing. And I hate to keep spinning it to the offseason, but I just think it's inevitable. Like, this is the bigger thing for me when I'm watching these games. I'm just starting to think, what does this mean? in the bigger picture for the Celtics. What are you, if you're Danny Ainge, are you going to, are you ready to give Robert Williams a rookie extension knowing that, you know, the health has been a lingering concern, but that if he has a monster season next year, the price tag could get outrageous pretty quickly. You know, how do you handle that this summer? Yeah. I, I mean, that's a tricky one because I, I don't know if tricky. It, I don't think like it's that tricky. I think you just pay him. Sign him what to like four for forty-five, four for forty. What do you take? But then, then what happens if he actually gets hurt? Uh, and then I don't know. It, that's a really tough one because, I, like, how many games has he played at a real plus starter level? Not many. Because last year he wasn't there yet. Right. This season he's missed a whole lot of time. Like, I I see the upside. The upside is abundantly clear. Like, the Celtics are a much better team when he's on the court. Especially, you know, since they traded Tice away and he seemed to get more confident and everything like that. But... And I, I don't even know, like I, my, my, my mind says he'd probably be into an extension because, you know, because of the health concerns, maybe he would want to get some money down there or, but like, there's also this world where if he has a good year next year, he's going to put himself into be a prime free agent the following season. So uh, I think he's got to balance it a little bit, but the upside for the Celtics would be if you could get him locked in, say they say it was 448, you know, like, or four. I don't know, 460, like 15 million a year. Like the number could be a lot more outrageous and you need people in those price points long-term anyway. And he's still a tradable asset. Every time we talk about a trade involving anyone in that 15 to $25 million range, we're like, well, is it going to be Marcus Smart? Because that's the only contract that sort of slots there. So I, I just wonder if it'd be worth the potential risks just to, to get him at a good number that isn't excessively prohibitive for as you build out the rest of the roster. Yeah, I'm thinking about comps. And and Clint Capella would be like the the player comp, right? Yeah, exactly. And he got what was it? 5 5 years, 90 million dollars. Um but he was always on the court too. Right. And and so he'd been a starter for two and a half years. He'd played a bunch of minutes. Um I think 28 minutes a game in his last year as a starter under the rookie contract. Played deep into the playoffs, was had proven himself as like a plus playoff guy over and over again. So I don't know. So that's that's the comparison. And I, I don't know. It's yeah, I, I don't think it would like it, what's that, 18 million a year? So that you're not going that high. You know, probably. I don't know. Like, it's, it's hard to, to sort of gauge how these things will play out. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking if I am the Celtics, there's some trepidation because of the injuries. And so maybe you just throw a, 
a number that's a little bit lower than that. And if, you know, look, there's going to be some pain points on both sides. Like Rob's going to be like, I could probably make more than this if I had a good year. And he, and the Celtics will be like, well, you know, there's some injury risk here, but I think they can find a number that makes sense. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit difficult too, because they're, they're, they're luxury tax bill. Every dollar is going to matter. Uh, but I think there's going to be some bigger changes uh, with your backcourt and, and what happened with Kemba and Fournier. And, and, you know, some of that will dictate whether you keep smart. And so I wonder if there's, if there's a way, I just love the idea of having Jalen, Jason, Rob, and like, say they draft a power forward. Like you've got four 24 and younger, probably pieces of your core that would be locked up. And then you'd still have Neesmith off your bench. You'd have Pritchard. And then just overhaul the rest of it and figure it out with Kemba and Fournier and all that. But I feel a lot more secure about the direction if they have Rob locked up. And you're probably going to go and figure out, like, who's the number two center behind them. And you're probably going to find someone who's super durable that can be ready to, to sort of shoulder that load if Rob gets hurt. Yeah, I, I feel like if if they do keep Robert Williams, assuming that they do, um, like having three solid centers is going to be important. Because, like, when he when he's been out, it's been the drop off from him to Luke Cornett is just huge. Um, and so the, the durability is one issue. Like the Celtics, since Al Horford, they really haven't spent any of their resources uh, to, or their like their top dollar toward centers. Like they've they've gone with Tice. They went with Tristan Thompson, who granted got the mid-level, um, but they haven't doled out like huge, huge resources to that position. Now, Robert Williams is a guy like he's a step above most of those guys. You know what I mean? Like the, the guys sure. you get with the mid-level. So when he's on the court. So, the, the yeah, the, the, it'll be that'll be an interesting negotiation this summer because I do think he's a very important part of the core. And Jason Tatum has gone out and said, that's my favorite player to play with. Favorite player to play with. like, and Which you're, seems you're, pretty important, right? Like your franchise guy has come out and on the record said, that's the guy I want next to me. Lock it up. I feel like Jason Tatum walks into that negotiation, says, hey, let's get this on paper. And then boom, get Rob yeah, locked up. The, the agent just brings, brings Jason Tatum strutting into the negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask one yeah. question, Jason. Who, who do you want most on our team? Oh, that guy, Robert Williams, right there. All right, well, Danny, sign, sort of, sign this. Sort sort of forces Danny's hand there. I like. I love draw, it. Draw up the papers, Danny. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> there are there are a lot of off season questions coming. There, it won't be too long. Maybe three more games. Maybe four. Maybe five. Which, if the Celtics well, get right, super so, frisky. No, they're not getting super frisky. But so what? And I I was having this conversation tonight. So I, I picked Nets in five. And but like I'm kind of wondering where wh- which game the Celtics are going to steal here. Like I don't feel great about the next one because I again I think I think the Nets are going to score a bunch of points. Uh, I don't even like the Kyrie at home game because I just think either he'll feed off of that energy, that negative vibes or whatever, and or Durant and Harden will carry him that night. Uh, and then I think if you're down three zero, you're 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 just checked out. That it literally is one two three Cancun. Um, so. So, like, what game are they stealing here? Three or four. They'll get one at home, I think. There will be, like, that random Marcus Smart game. There always is. I thought it was tonight with the way Marcus started making threes early. I, I did, too. Go. 
yeah. then he took that charge on Durant where Durant almost yes. died. And I, I thought for sure that was going to be the Marcus Smart game, but it never materialized. Things got ugly quick. And then the Celtics yeah. hung, hung around for a while after it got ugly. And then it got ugly again. <laughs> quick. And I just think it's going to be, a, it's going to be a theme of the series. I mean, and we'll just sit here and wonder what could have been if they had had Jalen. And it yeah, even out. even then they would have had a, a obvious talent discrepancy, and they would have been on the wrong side of that. But like with him, you would have been able to attack some of the Brooklyn holes. You would have been able to have better defensive matchups. You would not have needed to play Jabari Parker twenty two minutes and just prayed <laughs> that he would hold up. Uh, yeah, like Neesmith, Neesmith and Parker played thirty nine minutes together. Like those would have all gone to Jalen, every we, we single one put- of them. We should have put Neesmith in the in the in the six pack in the potable six pack because uh, I feel like he had some good moments, and I do think it's important that he's getting this little glimpse of playoff basketball again. When you zoom out from the big picture, him having to defend Harden and Durant, or you know, just go up against those guys for even small stretches is pretty important, and he'll come back a little bit different because of that time. And um, so, shout out Sarah Neesmith who was ready to. to to hit a couple big threes or what was it one or two threes uh, early on um you know shout out shout out to Aaron Eastman, who was like collecting dnp cds uh, a couple months ago and now he's in the playoffs he's a sixth man like sixth he's, man. he's the sixth man now and, I don't know. and the, the most impressive thing he did to me was defending without fouling yeah. i thought i thought he, he was able to contest against Kyrie. he was able to contest a couple times against harden without fouling and those guys still beat him some of the time but he, he made it pretty tough and he didn't put them at the line which obviously can be very tough for a young player to do like those guys especially Harden just get to the line all the freaking time so that pretty pretty promising from Neesmith somewhat promising from the Celtics defense not at all promising from the Celtics offense Forsberg I appreciate having you on man it's always great to chat with you hope you're driving safely on your oh, way back to, to Central Mass. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Listeners, we'll be back every game night with another Ooh. edition of Anything is Potable. So sign up through iTunes, sign up through Spotify, sign up wherever else you get your podcasts. We appreciate you all, the listener gods. Have a great day. No screaming like Packard at the end there. Like, whatever you, anything is potable. Almost anything yeah. is potable except against the Nets. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 